about shooting hoops and a special guest to break down the first season of the Jim Knowles defense, some film study, if you will, all coming up in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with Johnny Ginner. Good to be back with you. Thanks to Chase Brown for filling in for me last week. Great episode talking about, among other things, Ohio State's basketball program. And at the time, Johnny, I, I had made the observation that Ohio State's men's and women's teams were heading in different trajectories. The men were on, at that time, I think a five-game losing streak. The women, on the other hand, were, what, 18-0. and 0. And then the January curse that plagues Ohio State basketball teams in general came to bite the women as well. Maybe I jinxed it, I don't know. But the women have had uh, a pretty rough uh, few days as well uh, following along the men there. Is there just something about January these teams can't can't seem to get it? I know the problems with the uh, with with the men's team. We've talked about them at, at length. But have you been watching much of the, the women's program? They were number two in the country and really just seemed to set the world afire there in the first 18 games of the season. You know, I mean, they've had some injuries and obviously that's that's going to hurt. But uh, I actually think that it's a conspiracy and, you know, Ohio State might have a disappointing end to the football season. You know, it doesn't work out the way you want it. And of course, basketball's right there primed and ready to, to snatch that crown, right? To, to sit on the throne and say, no, this is a basketball school. So I think there's some collusion between the basketball program and the football program to maintain the status quo, which is why. The basketball teams have to like tank in January to remind everybody that they really should be looking forward to the spring game and offseason football talk and all that kind of stuff. Because if we got too invested in a second sport, I don't know how we would be able to split our time or our emotional energy. Um, so I think that's that's why that's happened. And, you know, and men's basketball team held up their end of the bargain. And then all of a sudden the women's basketball team looks amazing and rolled beaters like, ah, people might start paying attention to that. So now everybody's got to be terrible and that's where we're at. Yeah. I I love, and I don't know if people realize how good at conspiracy theory stuff you are. This is like one of your favorite subjects to teach as as an educator. (laughs) So I love those. Uh, I, I have to say one of the things that I really um, have enjoyed about the women's run uh, up here until this latest get, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Some of the injuries are, are, are a real challenge yeah, um, that they've dealt with. And I mean, the men too, let's, you know, in fairness to the men, they've, I, I'm not willing to uh, overlook some of their other challenges. I'm not willing to be that They're, fair. I mean, I, I know Zed, like, you know, he's, he is really kind of a, an important cog in that machine in terms of you know, defense, especially, but uh, offensively, I, I mean, I know the statistics bear this out that he's a, a big part of it, but man, talent wise, he should not be the, the make or break athlete. I think uh, when it comes to offensive production. Yeah. The thing uh, that I have enjoyed a lot is that we're, we're now paying attention. I think more of us, <laughs> You know, there's there's a saying, winning cures a lot of sins, you know, or, or if, put another way, if you build it, they will come. And mm-hmm. I think with the women's team being as hot as they've been this season, that's drawn a lot of attention to it. And maybe because the men were struggling so much, uh, but it's nice to see them get the attention. It, 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 I, I think I think they're going to have a great finish to the season once they kind of get get through this. But yeah, record breaking. I keep saying 18 and 0, but it was 19 and 0 to start the season. Lost to Iowa with um, Caitlin Clark of Iowa just having an insane game for the Hawkeyes at the shot. Um, but then it was a blowout to Indiana uh, before dropping a third straight to Purdue Sunday. They've 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 got to get 
you know, they've got to get a hand on that. And I think we could talk about the horrible January for Chris Holtman's Buckeyes, two and seven. And, and you know, they've had bad Januaries before, which is why what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> but this this men's team, man, you know, they've got they've got the ability. I, this is what bothers me, I think, about the current state of affairs with. Yeah, they're extremely talented. They're, they're extremely talented. They can score, you know, defensively. They've got some liabilities. You know, Bryce <laughs> Sensabaugh is, uh, uh, you know, he's <laughs> maybe playing himself into, uh, in, into making himself a pick instead of a two-year guy. Um, but defensively, not his, not his long suit. I'm sure that no. frustrates Chris Holtman to no end, but you know what? It is what it is. As the kids say these days, my question for you, Johnny, and I, you know, I, I really try to be the voice of optimism on this program. I hope people realize that. So I'm going to sound super negative here, but are are we witnessing the last days of the Holtman era here? Is, is this situation? I... So is, is the situation so bad, uh, that Gene Smith, has to make a, a tough decision here at season's end. I mean, I've said all along, it's not necessarily whether or not the situation's so bad. It's it's whether the situation will get better, right? And, you know, I, I think there are guys who are competent and know what they're doing. And I, you know, I think Holtman's in general, one of those guys. I don't think he's like some horrible fail son who has no idea what he's doing and he's just been given millions of dollars and he's terrible at his job. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I do think that coaches are able to claw their way out of bad situations. Sometimes the issue is, like I said, do you think that Holtman, a Holtman coach team will get demonstrably better as opposed to worse over the course of a season? And do you think that multiple seasons, more of this will improve upon what we've seen? I've been saying for a while, the answer is no. I mean that you've seen the limit of of holtman basketball at ohio state I, I i really think that i don't think this team is going to get and by team i really mean program i don't think this program is going to get demonstrably better whether you give them you know two months or two years or two more decades you, you've seen how as good as it's going to get um this season's pretty bad and the thing is i really i keep saying this but i really want people to look at the schedule every single team remaining on the schedule Okay, is capable of beating Ohio State just as badly as Indiana did. Like every single one. The Big Ten is a it's a deep conference in a lot of ways. It's not an amazing conference. Like top of the conference is not like super crazy world beaters, but the middle 80% or so of the conference is pretty much a bunch of teams that can turn it on and beat the crap out of you, which means that every night you have to be competitive. You have to be tough. You have to be in it. You have to be mentally in it. And Ohio State just does not look like a team anywhere near prepared for that kind of dogfight that they're going to be in every single game. Um, so I'm going to tell you, man, like, I, f- I forget what they got, like nine games left, something like that, eight, nine games. They could lose every single one of those games, mm-hmm. and I would not be shocked. And I don't think they will. I think they'll they'll pull out some. But uh, this is not a March Madness team. Uh, they're not getting in. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be rough. So to answer your question, is this, you know, the end of the Holtman tenure? I would say, you know, I wouldn't have given another year. I wouldn't have extended the dude. Um, Does Ohio State kind of say, all right, well, we already got, (laughs) we got the sunk cost. We might as well roll with the fallacy and keep going for another year or two. I don't know. Maybe they might do that. Um, But at this point, I just don't see this team, this program uh, really improving all that much. 
Yeah, and I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You, there's, I think we have seen as good as it's going to get under Chris Holtman. And, yeah. and, I, and I've pushed this off longer than you have because I'm a fan of the guy. Sure. Um, you know, or at least was early on. I, I, I thought a lot of the things he did, you know, bringing back, I mean, goofy things, like bringing <coughs> back the throwback uniforms. And, you know, they played, there was a season or two when they played those games in St. John Arena. And I was like, yeah. okay, maybe this guy gets it. You know, he kind of understands the vibe of the place and, and some of that. But at the end of the day, you got to win basketball games. Yep. Plain and simple. And and this, you know, there's this debate, and you and I are going to have this in a second, maybe, while we wait on our, our special guest to join us to talk about football. Um, the question, and maybe the fact that I just made that little segue there, that, that little preview there is, is reason enough to ask the question about, can a team, can a program be good at, a school be good at football and basketball consistently at the same time? You know, there's, that's sort of the age old question. Can you either be a football school or a basketball school, but not both? Uh, and, and maybe it is a fair question. I've always contended when you have the resources Ohio State has, you can be good at everything if you want to be. Right. Um, the, the, the trick is, you know, the wise deployment of those resources. And as one of our mods put it uh, in, a, in a group chat the other day, you know, $85,000 a week, we're not getting our money's worth here, you know, for Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think the thing that will save him, quote unquote, if he does get another year is the fact that it, it, recruiting classes have been have been really good here you know he's got i think right. what the number eight recruiting class followed by the number six recruiting class so he's been doing that part of the job well uh best classes they've had since you know gosh i don't know, like probably 2014 i think i was trying to remember i looked at this the other day but but you got all the talent in the world if you can't coach your way out of a wet paper bag in you know the last minute of a ball game or the last half of the ball game well, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't right. matter that you've got that talent on the bench. Yeah. And I think that's another, I mean, I think that's a significant criticism that people can have of Holtman right now beyond just like wins and losses. And, you know, like I want to see a better product. I think the most pointed criticism you can have is how they've performed in critical periods of basketball games, particularly at the end of halves where as a coach, I think it's your responsibility to manage timeouts, come up with the right person on the floor to stop runs or initiate them, that kind of stuff, get them prepared for simple things like inbound passes and, you know, playing the press, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's what a coach is supposed to do. And they failed at that repeatedly over the course of the last month, like a lot at relatively simple things that coaching should be able to uh, ameliorate. So, you know, you look at it and you're like, who is coaching? <laughs> like, what's what's really going on here? And, you know, does he seem as meticulous as a forensics officer? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not so sure. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that anymore. No, so, no. That, and that's the thing. And, and if you're Gene Smith and you're looking at this and you're looking at Chris Holtman and what he's done, I think there's a lot of positives you can get from the program. I I, I don't want to make this like just a Holtman bashing kind of thing because you're right. He is bringing in really good recruiting classes as a human being. Seems like a stand up dude. Um, you know, the, the kids he's bringing itself, in seem like good people, right? You know, like yeah, you don't have and, a bunch of character issues in the program, and, right? And exactly. Those kind of the kids, things. The kids he's bringing in are great. Um, I, I think he's a player's coach. I think people, I, you know say nothing about like setting guys it seems like there's never been any really kind of like big time drama on the no. team or anything like that he's a player's coach which is great i mean mata was that and i think people really enjoyed that 
Um, his and he program seems like also clean... not that, that modest program also not having a great season for what it's worth. No, so no, no. Yeah. For people who were like, you know, six months ago, ready to burn the boats, uh, that we weren't right. bringing back that mod. It's like, yeah, Butler's not doing super hot either, uh, but give it time. Maybe they will, but right. But the point is for me is like, is Ohio state going to give this guy more time? And, you know, sometimes it works out. I, I was, you know, to bring this back to football, but with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, you know, a couple seasons ago, I was like, yeah. they got to get rid of this guy. There's no way. There's yeah. no way he can turn it around. There's no way. There's no way he's going to figure this out. This is the most boring, like predictable program in the history of football. He clearly has no interest in going all in and like making, you know, a, a bunch of significant culture changes. And then he did. He went out and did that. Now, part of that was Michigan cutting his salary in half and lighting a fire under his ass. But it was also bringing in some really innovative offensive and defensive minds, finding an identity as a team. And those are both things right now that Ohio State basketball kind of lacks a little bit. So I don't know, maybe Holtman's capable of making that change. And maybe Gene Smith sits down with them at the end of the season and says, look, this is this has got to like shift. Like there's got to be a 180 here. And if Holtman's capable of doing that, then they still have the talent and the resources available to make Ohio State really, really, really good. Uh, but right now, this just looks like a moribund team and program that has really kind of just, it's seen its limit. And so going in the future, if you're a fan, I think it's reasonable to be forgiven to think that this is a team that uh, is just going to, you know, they might look good one night and then get blown out by 30 the next. And it doesn't really matter who the opponent is because they just don't have consistency when they absolutely need it. And that's during big 10 season. That's during January and February uh, leading into March. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about your Jim Harbaugh comparison to Chris Holtman is that uh, Harbaugh was there six seasons and it was year seven to your point about sometimes it takes time. Year seven that he beats Ohio state wins the conference uh, goes to the playoff and um, Holtman, you know, as uh, you may realize is now in season one to six. This is season six. So you're you're kind of right on the cusp of that. In in the where the analogy breaks down is Jim Harbaugh's teams up there were, you know, still going 10 and three. Uh the one year was eight and five. Um, you know, 2020, you know, whatever you want to say about 2020. Chris Holtman is not you know, he's on the verge of maybe breaking 500 in the conference. If they go on a seven and three run in the last 10, I I'm, I guess I'm pretty sanguine about it at this point. Now that said, our, our special guest this evening will be one who will point out uh, the recruiting. He was the gentleman that highlighted to me, the recruiting success that Chris Holtman has had that maybe will stay the hand of the executioner a little bit. And that special guest is the doctor himself, uh, the professor of film study at 11warriors.com, the prestigious Kyle Jones. Dr. Jones, welcome back to the Dubcast. Uh, we didn't bring you on specifically to talk about basketball, but since you you are are here for the tail end of our Shooty Hoops segment, I'll pose to you the same question I posed to Johnny Ginner. Uh, one, are we in the last days of the Chris Holtman administration? And two, is it possible for a school to be proficient at both football and basketball sustainably over the long haul? Oh boy. Uh, so the first question is much easier to answer. And I think barring, and I know this is, it's felt like the last month has been, has felt like a, cat, a catastrophe, but Feels barring, pretty bad. <laughs> true, bar, barring true catastrophe, 
AKA like really losing out down the stretch, which is in play. I'll admit, um, you know, I think Holtman's definitely going to be here. I, I do expect as they get this stretch of more home games over the next few weeks, you know, you're going to see the level come back, right? You know, you saw it at home against Iowa last week. They looked like a team that, that could actually, you know, can play with some consistency. I mean, the Zed injury just kills them. Now we can have a long discussion about what's going on at the power forward position because that is really the thing that is driving me nuts. I think Chris, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think Holtman's a very good basketball coach. I think he lacks in uh, personnel management. Um, I think that's the biggest downfall for him at Ohio State. This is year six, as I heard you guys saying. And every year there's a like, oh, well, yeah, they didn't they don't really have an answer at this spot or, oh, well, yeah, yeah, this is a problem, big problem. But then he typically has gotten the most out of what he's had this year being, I think, the obvious exception. So um, I was really fascinated to kind of hear the tail end of Johnny's Harbaugh, um, you know, comparison. I, I hadn't really put that together, I think. Maybe there's some similarities there, uh, but I, I, the difference being, I think, you know, Chris Holtman hasn't, you know, gone to the NBA finals before coming to Ohio State. <laughs> you don't <laughs> think he could? You don't think no. he has the ability? I mean, to actually, I mean, to what I just said, like, I don't know, man, like maybe he is going to be, he could be a better NBA coach because all he has to do is just coach basketball. He doesn't have to, you know, put together a roster and recruit. Sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe that is what he'd be better at. Who knows? But I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, you know, I think he's just going to be in for a really, really long, hard off season. That's not going to be very fun for him and come with a lot of high expectations from a year from now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned that we didn't bring you on specifically to talk about hoops. Uh, well, wait a minute. You got to answer the second question. Is it oh, possible yeah. for uh, a school to be good? Can you walk and chew gum at the same time athletically? Uh, in the form of having a playoff quality, let's say, I don't mean literally in the playoffs, but a playoff contender in football mm-hmm. and a tournament team in basketball. Can you do both of those things at the same time? Tournament team, absolutely. And I think Ohio State was that for a long time. I think Ohio, that's the expectation at Ohio State. And I think that's the expectation at a lot of places like Texas. They've been able to do that. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's the inverse where they've actually been better at, at basketball for much of the last 20 years than maybe in more consistent at basketball than football. Um, but yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, USC had a really long run there where they were making the tournament. Oklahoma's had some good basketball teams. Again, not necessarily national title contenders in basketball, but definitely, you know, making the tournament, you know, maybe, you know, cracking the sweet 16 every so often. Um, you know, I think that that's definitely in play. I don't, I don't think that's out of the real possibility at all. You know, maybe you think, that's uh go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Johnny. Well, no, so here's the thing, right? Like and and just again, I don't want to spend too much time on basketball, but the roster thing is interesting to me because I look at the overall talent level and I go, Wow, this is a pretty talented bunch. But I also look at the composition and I'm like, why is this so wildly out of whack? And it, it feels like it's that like year in and year out and i know that holtman will say like you know it's i didn't expect this guy to leave or blah blah blah. but like i don't know man what what's going on and, and what should ideally this team be looking for to try to make it more complete right yeah i mean i think that's that's a great question i think that it's getting ahead of some of the roster 
uh, some of the roster problems, I think, which is easier, much easier said than done. Right. Um, You know, I think there's, you know, a question of, you know, how do you anticipate better? Because, you know, depending on who you ask the question of, Hey, Malachi, what we didn't expect him to be here or or we expected him to be here. And then he went pro, but then you're talking on the other side of their mouth and because you're using Malachi going pro after one year as a recruiting tool. So which one is it? Is that like a sign of strength for your program or is it not? And I think there's a real conversation around just getting ahead and and having, and this is where I think really where I come to is having a a real philosophy for what you're looking for in a team. And a good example of that for years was Villanova with Jay Wright, which, you know, talking to folks who I trust when it comes to basketball, that's what it seemed like Holtman was going for in terms of roster construction. And what that looks like is you don't have a seven foot NBA center necessarily. You're not going after a Greg Oden you're having guys like a Zed key in the middle, but you're putting a ton of talent on the wings, tons of switchable guys, guys that can play multiple roles. A guy, a lot of guys that frankly look like, pardon me here, justice suing, <laughs> you know, it's got a, a lot of guys that look like that. It guys that can't, should be able to, you know, make a three if they're open that can play some D that can switch, that can play small forward. They can play shooting guard. They can dribble the ball, you know, nobody who's like a expert necessarily, you know, a a true gunner necessarily, but a lot of guys who can do a lot of things really well and they're switchable. And then you pair that with a really good point guard that you just absolutely trust. And I think what you're looking at with this year's team, is you said, okay, we've got Zed, you've got Felix Akpara, who could be that that big guy in the middle. Eventually he definitely needs to hit the weight room, but you know, you can see the potential. (laughs) And then you got Bruce on the other end. That's your point guard. Well, Bruce is a true freshman who got some growing pains. Maybe you don't totally trust him yet. You know, he definitely hit a little bit of a wall when it came to playing big in the Big Ten. His shooting, you know, he went from being able to, a, a good three-point shooter to being a very inconsistent three-point shooter. But then the rest of the roster in between, it's guys like Ice Likely who can do a lot of different things. It's guys like Gene Brown who doesn't play a ton, but he does a lot of different things. And, and I think that's really the roster mentality is – making sure that you're good on either end with that point guard and that big that you can really trust and rely on. And then a bunch of versatile role guys in the middle. All right. Let's see uh, where it takes us. So we've got uh, run down the stretch here. They're going to have to win quite a few to get back to even on the conference slate They're 12th right now in the conference. Certainly <clears throat> makes me shudder to say that, but you know, Hey, it's a game of streaks. So maybe they'll get on a hot one here. As you say, some of these home games should help get the ship righted. Now let's, let's shift into the reason that I wanted you to come on and, and talk with us in this week's edition, you and your weekly film study uh, session at 11 warriors.com tackled fact and fiction uh, after Jim Knowles first year in Columbus this is one of my favorite topics uh, because you know throughout much of the season my contention was simply that Ohio State didn't need to have a top five defense to be a championship caliber team with as good of an offense as Ryan Day has put together at Ohio State they needed simply to be 30 percent less crappy than they were under uh, Jim Knowles predecessor and boy they certainly looked that right up into those last couple of games of the season and certainly then we all had a much different perception. So so let's walk through your study of the Knowles era in year one. What what were some of the uh, myths, shall we say, that you set out to dispel in this week's excellent film study? Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that, um, that compliment. You know, I think what 
what I really wanted to do with this piece was coming off the Georgia game and listening to some of the discourse, both from, you know, people that I really trusted and from people that I didn't know, right? Just the general public, just hearing what people were saying. It was wildly different from what I thought I saw. And so I set out to really say like, wait, is what people are saying about the program and the state of the program and Jim Knowles and the defense is what, what is, what is the reality here? And so that, that really kind of led me down this path of, all right, let's take a look back. Let's with the, with the benefit of hindsight. Now let's take a look at what we really saw throughout the season. And I think there's really a few, what I came away with was there's really a few different ways you can think of, you can look at it. And it's almost like, you know, the, the 10,000 foot view versus the 10 foot view, if you will. And so you, you bear with me here, the, the 10,000 foot view of this defense, you know, that's the fan who isn't frankly reading 11 warriors. They're tuning in on Saturdays in the fall, turning on the TV. They might know CJ Stroud and one other, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba. now Marvin Harrison, they can't name the roster, but they're Ohio state fans. And they look at that final score and say, wow, the defense gave up a lot of points. Yeah, they're right. They're, they're definitely right and hard to argue with that. And then you have the 10-foot view, which is, you know, you're inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. You are Ryan Day. You're somebody in the building going, what are we spending each minute of practice doing? How are we dividing up our time? And is this defense good enough? Yeah, they, that's a real question, too. You know, the defense did not perform up to the expectations that it needed to be, to your point, Andy. It didn't need to be great, but it needed to be better. And I think in that last couple of games, it really slipped and kind of went back towards the middle of being, you know, a little bit more unreliable. But then where I really saw the difference was in the middle there, that that thousand foot view, if you will, which is where I think a lot of folks that, that read the site and that we talk to and, you know, what the people at the thousand foot view were seeing seemed to be way off from what I thought I was seeing on, on the film at, at a similar level. And what I mean by that is, you know, people remember the touchdown against Michigan, right? You remember the all-out blitz, the cover zero. I feel like a lot of people learned what cover zero meant and just wanted to repeat it for the you know a bunch of times over the next month and a half. I sound smart uh, if I use some lingo. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so many people learned what cover zero was because of that play, and uh, you know the the thing became oh well, Jim Knowles just blitzes and run these cover zero blitzes. It's too chaotic. It's too risky. It's reckless, blah, 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 blah. And I think the reality is, well, one, that's what you get when you hire Jim Knowles. That's part of the deal, right? And if you didn't think that was part of the deal, you didn't do your homework, frankly. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one myth that I wanted to dispel is that, you know, somehow this is different from what happened at Oklahoma State. This is absolutely what happened at Oklahoma State. They gave up big plays every now and then through this exact, almost very similar circumstances. When you play the best competition and it becomes just my guy versus your guy in the open field, every now and then their guy makes plays. Um, that was I one hate that. Myth. I like it when yeah. my guys make plays and the other guy <laughs> right. doesn't. And I think that's part of what I wanted to show was, you know, as you looked at Ohio State's schedule early on, the, the tests that they passed in this regard they passed it against Notre Dame. Now we can look back and say, well, Notre Dame's offense was a disaster in September. Maybe that doesn't mean as much. You can say they passed the test in Penn State. That was a good football team that ended up playing really well in the year. They also gave up 30-something points and had the exact same issue, right? The zero blitz, 
a lot of people don't remember it. I didn't put it in the piece because I didn't want to, you know, you know, linger, you know, bring up any painful memories for folks. But there was a play where, uh, you know, they threw, there was a zero blitz on third and I want to say eight. They threw a quick slant. Uh, Tanner McAllister and I think it was uh, Denzel Burke went to go make a tackle. They ran into each other and Parker Washington ran 60 yards for a touchdown. Mm. You know, it was a zero blitz. It was almost the exact same thing. So you could see the seeds of what this defense, where the weakness is live. Like no defense is perfect. And I think that's really what I want folks to take away from this is there's never going to be a perfect defense, especially in this era of football. Offenses are too good. They are too talented. Your job is to mitigate damage and just hope that when you have cracks in, in the wall that the other team finds, they don't completely, you know, take everything underwater. And I think that really is the takeaway folks should have here is this is not a schematic issue that we saw those last couple games against Michigan, against Georgia. This was fundamentals. This was poor tackling. This is poor leverage. This is guys that couldn't get off blocks. This was not about, did they run cover three? Did they run a zero blitz? This was about, did they know what to look for? Could they be trusted in, in zone coverage? And could they make a play when they had to? And frankly, the answer was no, they couldn't make enough plays. They made a lot of plays, but not enough plays. And that's really, I think, the story of the 2022 Ohio State defense. So a lot of people would say, you know, they, they would agree with that. And But is the onus, especially I would guess later on in the season, is the onus more on the players to be able to make those plays and, you know, figure out what they got to do to put themselves in position to be successful? Or is that really on the coaches at that point? Like a lot of people would say, yeah, I would agree with that. But Jim Knowles is also the teacher here. Like how how are guys making boneheaded decisions? How are they missing easy tackles? That kind of stuff. I love that you use the words Jim Knowles is the teacher here. Think about how long he's been the teacher in Columbus and think about how many other teachers these guys have had at this point in their career. Lathan yeah. Ransom is a perfect example, right? <clears throat> he gets recruited by Jeff Halfley. That's who he thinks he's playing for. Shows up on campus. Jeff Halfley's gone. Okay. Now he's playing and, and Matt Barnes is his coach. <laughs> Kerry Combs is calling plays. All right. They're one, running one style of defense in 2020, right? They beat Clemson with that, you know, that style that we, we've all talked about. We all know the single high, super generic, super predictable. Okay, that's he was playing one position that was totally different. Okay, then we go to last year. Kerry Combs gets demoted. Matt Barnes is now in charge. They're kind of running this weird quarter system, just trying to do whatever they can to stay afloat. Again, changing the system on the fly. But Matt Barnes is in charge, not Combs. Okay, that doesn't work. Now he's out. Okay. Now we've got Jim Knowles and Perry Elianos. So think about how many different teachers and how many different assignments he's been given in his time at Ohio State. And I think what you're seeing here is not necessarily, well, how come Jim Knowles didn't fix all of the problems? Like, it's in the walls, guys. Like, you, you, you can't just undo all of that teaching of all of the different guys that have been in this secondary. A guy like Josh Proctor, Greg Schiano recruited him. And literally coached him his freshman year. Jim Greg Schiano hasn't lived in Columbus in what four years? Yeah. So you know you got to get all of the mold out of the walls before you can start to really redecorate, if you will, right? And so there's a lot of unteaching almost that you have to go through with a lot of these players on defense. They've been through so much, and so much of it has been bad, which means there's confidence issues on top of fundamental issues, on top of technique issues, on top of scheme issues. And so 
that's where it all comes up to head is like, there's so much to fix that you, I don't think it's fair to even expect Jim Knowles or anyone. You could have hired Nick Saban to run the defense and Bill Belichick as his assistant. They wouldn't have been able to make a perfect uh, defense last year. Can I actually, I'm going to follow up. This is kind of a macro question. I'm, I'm a little curious about this in general. Uh, it's not directly related to Ohio state, but when I was younger, like when I was in college, early two thousands and started to really get into football, I, I really loved the idea of like a shutdown defense. Just the idea that you weren't getting anything across these guys. If you scored a touchdown, that was a victory, all that kind of stuff. And I know that, you know, as you mentioned, college football offenses are just too good. The, the scheme is amazing. The, the athletes that they have are really, really good. And, you know, defensively, you're trying to mitigate stuff. But what's interesting to me is, so I was looking at the stats, right? Illinois, statistically was the best uh scoring defense in the country last year right they're giving them mm-hmm. about 12 12.8 points per game i'm going to say about i'm looking at the stats it was 12.8 points a game uh the dip, so add 10 points to that right 22.8 that gets you to the 36 ranked team in the country right so there's there's a 35 right team difference between 12.8 points and uh 22.8 points this is what mm-hmm. I find interesting. The difference between 22.8 points and 32.8 points per game takes you all the way down to 115th. So <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is, I, I think Ohio State, who, you know, they were giving up, a, you know, three touchdowns a game. That's what they averaged. Um, I, I think they were part of that great middle, right? And mm-hmm. I think you can look at that in, in terms of two ways. First of all, you could say, all right, this is a team that's poised to make that next step. But what's more interesting to me is that that percentage of teams that are truly like locked down, old school, you're not scoring on them, has become vanishingly small. And there's this huge giant like middle area here where you do have a lot of teams that are kind of just hanging on for dear life against really really talented offenses i'm just curious what your take is on that particularly when you look at teams like illinois and iowa and they're like how would they get so good on defense how how are they able to buck that trend of giving up three and four touchdowns a game which seems to be the norm for most of college sports or college Uh, i i love that you this is one of my favorite topics to talk about with coaches so i'm really glad that you brought this up um and this isn't just like a this year question this has been a conversation that i've been having with a bunch of coaches for years now as the game has evolved and i think you have to recognize that it's there's a complementary there's a stylistic piece to this right and i one of my favorite things to do is to look at and you're seeing this with the advanced stats advanced stats movement right so you know yeah. bill connelly and sp plus and you know you know epa and all these different things that you can really get into because i think looking at scoring defense Go look at Illinois' yards per play or Iowa's yards per play. And what you find is their yards per play is actually that they allow is not all that impressive, but it's a complementary style where, I mean, look at Iowa and Illinois' offense. They're trying to shorten the game. It's it's truly trestle ball as we all remember it, right? Well, They're I'm trying go ahead. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna take a little bit of issue with that because okay. Iowa and Illinois had the top two defenses in terms of yards per play this year. Okay. I was number one. Illinois was number two. And, and that was the other thing that I thought was interesting about this is because Ohio state, which again, three touchdowns a game, pretty good. I think that was like in the top 20. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what you want. Uh, 
yards per play knocks him down to 37. And then if you look at some of the explosive plays, it knocks him down even further. I, I guess my point with all of this is that I see a team in Illinois and Iowa when I'm watching their games and I, and pace is a big part of this, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I mean, that's especially with what you're looking at towards the game. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's something there that these teams are doing um, that exists in concert with the offense that they're running (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I don't know. I I think what you have, and this is just me spitballing. I think what you have in Iowa and Illinois, at least this past year is that you had really, really good secondaries Mm -hmm. teams that said, all right, well, their offenses aren't going to scare us. We can get into a knockout, you know, drag, you know, knuckle dragging kind of fight with these guys. We can throw rocks and we'll come out on top. We'll be fine. And as a result, that pushed down the yards per play, but it also became this really like razor's edge, trestle ball kind of thing for both teams. 100%. Uh, because they could not, they, they, it's not that they didn't have great defense. I, I think both these teams had really good defenses and particularly in the secondary. And I think it's interesting. I want to know why their secondaries were so good, but mm-hmm. I think it led both teams in, in games that Iowa and Illinois were playing in to play this trestle ball style of football. <laughs> And it's just, it's fascinating to me because that's so old school that that feels like that style of football is dead and it's not, it's not for some teams, but for most teams, it feels like it's dead. Yeah. So I think there's two different answers when you look at the styles of those two teams, because, you know, schematically, at least what Illinois did is they said, Devin Witherspoon is a freak show. He is the best corner in the country and he's just going to man up and, basically erase half the field in the passing game, which allows us to do a bunch of other stuff with our, the other 10 guys on the field. It's the Revis Island principle, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't typically see that in college football. Now, would I have loved to see him man up against Marvin Harrison? 1000% <laughs> yes. Right. Because I think the reality is, is they, this is a, he's Revis Island for the big 10 West, which is its own, relative you know you got to win your division before you can do anything else you know if you also look at those two teams look at the division that they're playing in too which was that meant they were playing not only each other they were playing northwestern wisconsin and minnesota teams that are are, were not exactly setting the world on fire with spread offenses right so i think those numbers also play into the stylistic element of who they play um, as much as anything else, right? It's a knock, you know, everybody still knocks the big 12 defenses. Well, if you go ask coaches who know, they say, well, who, whose defense do you want to learn from? Do you want to learn from a Big Ten West defense like Iowa? Or do you want to learn from TCU? Do you want to learn from Oklahoma State? And they'll all say to them, I promise you, I want to learn about those big 12 defenses because their challenge is so much tougher. Right. Great. And that's really what I think that's the reason Jim Knowles got hired. It's the reason he got elevated to that national status a year ago. Cause everyone went, wait a second. He put up what his defense put up, what kind of numbers in which league against which kind of opponents. Okay. That makes me take notice versus an Iowa team, which again, Iowa's got a great defense. They, they did some things that really frustrated Ohio state offensively. Um, you know, the way they run their program. And again, this is why I love this conversation because there's so many elements to it. You know, Illinois or Iowa might've had the best middle linebacker in the country this year who can cover a ton of ground, both in the run and the pass game. Like that changes a lot of things. And as, as good as Tommy Eichenberg was against the run, 
he leaves a little bit to be desired as a as a zone dropping you know pass defender and that was a big problem that's where i you know going back to the piece here and, and veering back in that direction you know like Ohio State ran a lot of zone coverage and they weren't particularly great at it. And that speaks to who the people were on the field. And, you know, I, I see, I think essentially as we think about what Ohio State's defense is today versus what it will be, those are two di- very different outcomes. I, I think that we are going to look back in two or three years, assuming that, you know, the ship stays in the same direction and Jim Knowles is still there. And we're going to say, wow, what the Ohio State defense is doing in 2024 looks very different than it did that first season with Jim Knowles. Yeah, you just, I think, alluded to what my, the question has been on my mind since reading the piece and, and listening to your discussion here with your uh, example of Tommy Eichenberg is how, how much of the the growing pains, if you will, like you, you gave me pause there when you're talking about the mold and the walls of the Woody and uh, the, the number of different people that these kids have had teach. I shouldn't call them kids. These guys have had teaching them over the past four years. Uh, how how much to do we ascribe to Knowles doing the best he could with the talent he had versus the talent that he might bring to town over the next two, three, four years? I think that's 100% what we saw this year. And that's, that's really the, the takeaway for those that were, you know, that, that understand scheme well and, and can read between the lines. You know, I was trying to say without directly saying it that, look, man, he ran cover one because he had to. Because it's yeah. what the kids, it's what the guys were comfortable with. Because it's what they ran the last few years. It's what they knew how to run. It's what they knew how to play. It's where they felt the most confident. So he said, "Great, that's what we're going to do." Is that what Oklahoma State did? No, they ran a whole bunch of different stuff. If you look even at the spring game, they didn't run a ton of cover one. They were clearly trying back in the spring to say, like, what is what do these guys know? What can we teach them that's new, and what can they execute? Because when it comes time for the game, you know you're going to run what you you know your guys can do. You know, you're going to run what they're confident in because you'd much rather be in a defense that your kids, you know, the players know how to execute and are confident executing versus something that they're not confident in. Just because it might be the right thing that, that you know, looks it's the right answer on a whiteboard doesn't mean your guys can execute it. And this is, you know, the old, it's not like Madden where you can just call, you know, call the play in the huddle and all of a sudden everybody knows their roles and knows exactly where to be at all times. It's not like that in the real world. Do you think so going into next season, you know, you're getting some guys back. I, I think some people will say, well, that's not necessarily a good thing. Although I, I would disagree. I think a lot of the talent they have coming back can, can definitely make improvements. This is not, I think a situation where like the cupboard is bare here and that the, you know, the starters aren't that great and all that stuff. I'm, I'm pretty excited actually to see the kind of improvement that'll be made. But who's like the leader of the defense? Who's got to be the the quarterback here? And I know that McAllister came and, and was, you know, part of that to be, you know, Noel's safety net and whatever. But who do you think is that guy next season? I think it's going to be Ransom. I think it has yeah. to be, frankly. I think okay. he's going to have a lot of weight on his shoulders. And, you know, like I said, this, you know, going into this year, I said it to you guys multiple times. I've said it in print. You know, I thought Ronnie Hickman had to be an All-American for Ohio State to win a national championship. I thought he was good, but he wasn't great. And that's not a knock. I think he did, you know, he did fairly well. And I think he's going to actually end up being a pretty good NFL player in a very different role. I don't yeah. think he's going to play that same spot. I talked about this last time. I think Ransom, you know, again, talking to guys um, who know this stuff, we all think that Ransom is probably going to move to that middle safety spot, that adjuster, so that they can do the most with him. 
Um, he's got all the skills. He's, he's in the right position. It was an execution situation, you know, where he, he missed a couple tackles. He, you know, he turned his hips the wrong way against, uh, you know, against Arian Smith on the, the deep ball that killed everybody in, in the Georgia game. Um, you know, it was a, a couple just blunders of execution. You, you know, that's, that happens. You can shore that up, hopefully. Um, because, but that, that's a guy that you need to be a lot of things. I will say that the guy that's, that's, you know, transferring from Syracuse, and this is my, probably my next piece that I'm going to be putting up here soon. Uh, he can do a lot. Jihad Carter, the safety from Syracuse, who's, who's transferring in after three years as a starter there. He played a lot of different roles in a very versatile system. The system's actually very similar, um, at least in the secondary um, at Syracuse to what, you know, Knowles ran at Oklahoma state and what you can see him trying to, to slowly get Ohio state into. Um, I think that's a guy that you can look at and, and hope that he can make plays. I think that's the biggest difference. And we talked about this last time is you need safeties that not only are in the right position, but are in the right position and then make plays. And he made plays. You can go watch the Clemson game. You can watch the Notre Dame game. He was all, he was making plays all over the field against really talented guys. Um, and that says a lot. And I think that's what Ohio State saw in him and said, we can plug him in and he can be a player for us right away. I think the other thing is the other guy that I think really needs to, you know, take another step for Ohio State is JT Tuomolo. Um, if he can really find that next year and be that force that up front, the offense has to go, we got to find 44 and you know, leverage our blocking around him. And the quarterback's thinking, I got to make sure I'm, I'm avoiding 44 before I even, you know, look to throw the ball. That's going to help a ton too. I think, you know, that's been lacking in consistency, you know, since basically Chase Young left. Um, Ohio State's been, been needing that just, hey, I, I'm going to dare you to double team me uh, type guy. You can't single block me because I'm going to win and make a play. And, that's a guy that Ohio State just really, really needs. And, you know, it sounds simple, but if you've got that dude, the rest of defense becomes <laughs> a lot easier. And coaches look really smart and really, really, you know, they look like they're great at, job, they're great at their job if they've got a guy who can just win a bunch of one-on-one -on -one battles like that. Kyle, always a, a treat to have you on the program. I would recommend friends, if you missed uh, this most recent film study, came out, I believe, on the 26th, looking at separating fact versus fiction in the uh, first year of the Knowles administration. You want to go back and read that and reread it again. I, I was pretty high on things uh, this year, you know, as disappointing as it was not to win those last couple ball games. I thought the improvement in the defense was, was fantastic. So it's, it's nice to hear that I wasn't just imagining things <laughs> that we really did see some progress. Kyle, thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast, and uh, we'll hope to have you back again uh, soon to talk about uh, happy things going into spring ball. Look forward to it then. Great. And if you guys ever need me to weigh in on Ohio State basketball again, you know where to find me. Yeah, that's the other we thing. We it. need to just have you come back and do. What I want to do is we need to set up, Johnny, we need to uh, make a note to remember to do this, to bring bring Chris and Kyle at the same time, and we'll just do a <laughs> Shooty Hoops roundtable. Like, that actually would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we need to make that happen. All right, especially, good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, especially since Chris and I typically have opposing views when it comes that's to right. basketball at all times. So let's do it. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to call anybody out or anything, but, but it was, you know, it was a discussion between you two that made me think uh, of, of uh, talking about the, or, or mentioning to Johnny and the, the audience, the talent thing, you know, that, Hey, 
this guy's probably not going anywhere because of the recruiting classes he's got coming in. I thought that was a pretty good point. So thanks for coming on to make it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll thanks, get that guys. scheduled. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, it's great being on. Good to talk to you. All right, Johnny, let's, uh, let, let's talk, uh, let, let's talk about some things that maybe, you know, didn't go so well for us last week. And that is our picks in the bet Jack parlay, the bet Jack parlays, you know, we've been doing all season long here as part of uh, bet Jack sponsorship of the 11 dubcast. You can do like I did and download the bet Jack app, make your own picks, or you can go to betjack.com. Bet Jack, the only Ohio sports book by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. Again, the website betjack.com. So our, our picks maybe didn't do so well last week. Uh, you know, it was a it was it was kind of a tough road to hoe if you were an Ohio sports fan uh watching these playoff games. Uh how how outraged are you on behalf of your fellow uh, southwestern Ohioans about the outcome of that championship game? Well, I I honestly I picked I picked uh Kansas City to pull that one out. You um, you did, you did, but uh but 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 you know the way that game ended as a as a son of Southern Ohio are you oh god yeah no outraged? I mean yeah I mean you're gonna be infuriated about it because it's it is infuriating and really was it the most poorly officiated game you've seen in the National Football League in some time? No, that's a really high bar. <laughs> okay, I was just gonna say because some of the reactions I saw online. You know, not that anyone on social media ever trends to hyperbole, but yeah, yeah, no, it, I mean, Dave, you know, bless his heart, Dave, Dave Biddle, uh, I think spent the next uh, like three to four hours after the game, just like <laughs> infuriated. And look, I, you know, it's understandable. I mean, yes, the the late hit on Mahomes was the correct call, but that they missed hold after hold after hold, hundred other calls. Yeah, among you know, like granting granting extra downs and all that kind of stuff. There was just it, it was really stupid. It was bad, but also highly predictable. And really, I mean, the Bengals they just never really found their footing offensively. Their their offensive line fell completely back to earth after that uh, Bills game where they looked untouchable. Um, and Burrow, you know, a lot of a lot of Kansas City fans really relished you know bringing that guy back down to earth as well. But like okay, you're one in three against the guy. Like maybe, maybe tone that down just a little bit. It's great that you won at well, home as and, favorites. And the thing that Joe bugged Burrow. me was that a lot of the smack they were talking about him, like Burrow was pretty complimentary of Patty Mahomes. You know, oh, it's yeah, not yeah. all that Burrow head stuff didn't come from Joe Burrow. No, it didn't. It, it came didn't. from Cincinnati's idiot mayor. Who, That's you know, right. Apparently has uh, missed the memo. You don't want to jinx your team with nonsense like that. Yeah, so Joe Burrow, I mean, he didn't have a great game, but he also had no time to have a great game. Yeah, and... it's a wonder he's still alive given the offensive line he's had to play behind. Yeah, I mean, you're in Cincinnati. Yeah, so anyway, I, I wasn't shocked by the outcome. Um, I, you know, I wanted him to pull it out, but honestly, still, as a Bengals fan, this is com like this is completely gravy. It's unbelievable they've been able to accomplish what they've been able to accomplish, and it's all due to Burrow, and I hope he gets the craziest extension possible that they can you know, shell out for because he deserves it. And uh yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be a good uh Super Bowl. It'll be a very interesting Super Bowl. Are we allowed Bowl to too. say Super Bowl? Do we have to call it the big game like they do on no, commercials now? Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean we're not directly profiting off of it, I guess. <laughs> I just that cracks me up every the year. Big game. You, you people used to have other Super Bowl sale or you know coming to get the Super Bowl pizza deal or whatever. And when oh yeah doing that, you know. You know, when you're watching the big game, wing, that's wing, right. Nudge, no, nudge. I like that too. Um, I wish they would get even more obtuse about it. They'd be like, when you're places and you're watching television <laughs> between the hours, you know, like just 
as be as vague as humanly possible and then just you know ratchet up that plausible deniability um anyway so that was the one i was going to start off with which is the uh, the chiefs and the eagles eagles are two point favorites right now um i you know we've got a couple weeks until that game i think that's enough time for mahomes to get his his ankle back i know that people are really high on the eagles just because of how good their offenses looked um and they it's hard for me to get a beat on it just because the the 49ers they didn't have a functional quarterback oh and my gosh no kidding people what yeah mess. and so right and so people are like oh well they look great against the niners well okay almost any team would so yeah no kidding i mean poor i, mean, I yeah i mean i agree out. that they should be the favorite because just their body of work but i don't know i, I don't know that you can glean anything from how they played against the 49ers at all yeah it's crazy that was a yeah. wild wild set of playoff games uh in in general just or wild set of championship games all right you ready to lay down a marker on who's going to win the big one yeah you know what i i think that uh, mahomes comes out people here's the thing people forget about the dude yeah he can run and make some really amazing plays with his feet but he's still also probably one of the best like if he's confined to the pocket he's still one of the best pocket passers in the league if not the best so i mean some of the darts that he threw against the Bengals were ridiculous especially uh, i think it was like the second touchdown that he threw uh unbelievable so i you know i just think that if you're looking at quarterback and quarterback mahomes is the better guy uh kelsey's gonna have time to get uh healthy um i i think they pull it out i think they win that one yeah i'm i'm 100 with you on that i i think this is and and it's you know as much as uh much as I, I found some of the crowing from Kansas City fans uh, uh, a little a little annoying, um, you know. Hey, whatever you won your game, live your moment. I I got to say, I think they're, I think they're the team to beat for sure, and that's where I that's where I'd put my money this week, no doubt. Okay, um, so here's uh the thing is when when we're getting into off season, right? You run out of football. You gotta you gotta go into basketball. You got yeah. some other things. Yep. That's right. I mean, you can How bring you. You want to bring in? You could bring in. I don't know. What are, are we playing lacrosse somewhere or rugby or? There's oh, there's all kinds of crazy. Sevens stuff. Union somewhere. We've got. And you know what? Okay. How about do they this? play highlight anywhere anymore? We could do. We could do. Throw down some. Throw down some parlay on highlight. I mean, that's some truly degenerate betting um, <laughs> that, I, that I have to. I'll say. I. I, I kind of. Um, I kind of respect if anybody's doing. <laughs> Honestly. bring me bring um, me a five-team parlay of highlight and let's get <laughs> let's get freaky deaky yeah i like it that's pretty good all, all right, right what, what, what did you dig up for us all right well let me do okay then we'll do the weird one that's fine i'll start off with the weird one now and i actually have a little bit of insight on this not a lot but you know some um so this is the this is cycling. We're gonna go into professional oh. cycling. <laughs> uh, I I now I gotta admit I was making a crack about highlight. I I did not know you could bet on cycling. I mean it makes oh, sense. Oh please, but I and I've you know what's not, even funnier no, no is that idea. cycling's gotta be like the most corrupt sport this side yeah. of boxing. So, yeah, that's that's known, right? Yeah, it is. And 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 honestly, like that's what I love about it because first of all, I mean, I know I know that they're trying really hard to clean up that sport to make it more palpable i guess to people who are casual followers of it and also who want to bet on it um but if you think and i really encourage people to go out and just get on a bike ride a bike ride it for five or ten miles see how you feel afterwards it sucks right keep doing that ride 20 miles 
okay, that's a little bit harder, but it's definitely doable, right? Like it doesn't take that. Yeah. Take a couple of weeks on a bike. You'll be easily hitting 20, not hard. Okay. All right. 40, 50 miles, a little harder, but honestly, if you got enough time and you spend a couple months on a bike, you'll be hitting 50 miles too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. These guys are going a hundred to 120 miles every day for the better part of three weeks. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it insane. is through, through the French Alps. Yeah. So it's not, it's not so much that uh, the sport might be crooked and, and the guys might be doping. It's that it's scientifically impossible for them not to be. Yeah, this so was it's, my it's... contention during the Lance Armstrong, you know, drama. Like, oh, sure, yeah, yes, I I can grant you that he may be one of the most contemptible human beings uh, ever. I I can yeah, give yeah. you all that, and you know Super how he, nobody likes how, him. how he handle you know, and in, in trying to run people into the ground that we're trying to report on yep. him, oh, you know, doping and so on. But, but to me, that that in no way took away from his athletic achievements because literally everyone he was competing against was doing correct some variation correct. of what he was doing. Right. So I he forget, was. There was still... like one of his, yeah, one of his, um, one of his tour wins. I think they went back and looked, and if you uh, disqualified everyone who had either been like credibly accused or suspended, like actually suspended for doping, you'd have to like go down to like the thirteenth or fourth. 14th place finisher yeah like it's it's really hilarious and 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 so anyway with all that said i actually genuinely enjoy the sport of cycling and watching it and it's it's a fascinating team sport it's really crazy how it's done tour of flanders 2023 this is going to be all the way in april so we got some months until to it uh vanderpoel uh mateo vanderpoel is the current uh odds on favorite followed by walt van ert uh, and then uh, Tajay Pogo, oh my gosh, I'm so bad at his last name. You are. Pogacar <laughs> is his last name. Um, I got to tell you something, man. Uh, but all of these guys, I forget who the youngest one. I think Walt Banner might be the youngest uh, of all of them. Um, but, but I will say, okay, this is the Tour of Flanders, right? This is this is France, right? This is Flanders. Well, Belgium, I guess, right? Yeah, Belgium would be Flanders in Belgium. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Belgium. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a minor, it's not one of the bigger ones. It's not one of those ones where uh, guys are kind of like, you know, we got to win this. This is, this is considered to be a tune up. I think uh, Pogachar, who is, who is kind of the, uh, I don't know. He's, he's the younger guy. He's, he's kind of coming up being a guy that, that people think might be the new name of, um, uh, cycling. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put my money on him, even though he's not the odds on favorite. I think the young legs uh, kind of powers him through and I think he wins it. I will have to admit, I know literally nothing about any of this. So I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with the guy with the unpronounceable last name as well. All right. Well, I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily narrow it down. However, I will say Vanderpool. Okay. Belgian. So that, that could be a point in his favor. He's a little bit older. Uh, he's, he's 28. So he's, you know, cyclists can really kind of go until I would say they're early 30s. So he's still in the prime of his career. Nice. So Vanderpool would not be a bad bet on this, I think, uh, as a native Belgian. So we'll see how that goes. Like um, <laughs> so that's, that's two or three. Um, here we go. This is, this is a big one. All right. This is international test cricket. 
Oh my god! Right? I thought you really were going to come back and give us a basketball score. This oh, is god. great. You know Crickets, what? The only thing about well, win. we'll get into that when we get into the playoffs. And I'm actually <laughs> curious. I was looking. I don't know. I, I gotta maybe get it more into bet Jack. I want to see when uh, LeBron is projected to, uh, you know, do one of those prop bets. See when LeBron is projected to maybe uh, beat the uh, the all time scoring record, which should happen in the next like four to six games here. But India and Australia. All right, India. Odds on favorites, February 8th. Who do you got? That's kind of tough, but I mean, I I feel like India is like a traditional power in cricket, right? Never, never bet against Indian cricket. That's yeah, all that's that's why I'm saying. Like, I think I got to go with India here. That's money in the bank. Now there is a possibility of a draw, uh, but honestly, I I gotta I gotta go with India. Too. So I've got two bets I feel really good about, and one I know absolutely <laughs> nothing about. This is the kind of parlay I can sink my teeth into. Good stuff, exactly. Johnny. Exactly. All right. Great, 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 great stuff, friends. So go lay those down and thank us. You know when you are you know, swimming uh, in the beautiful beaches of some it's private right, island rich. somewhere with your winnings. Yeah, get rich, friends, get rich. All right, good stuff. The Bet Jack Parlay again. Thanks to Bet Jack for sponsoring the 11 Dubcast. Download the app or visit betjack.com. All right, let's get this horse back to the barn with some classic Ask Us Anything. What do the friends have for us in the mailbag this week, Mimigo? Well, we remind you that you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions. To Even about w- international cricket. Even about international cricket, which we are now experts in, um, <laughs> by sending us a question to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, let's go ahead and get into it. You know what? Let's start with uh, our good friend Alvin. What is our favorite and least favorite colors? That's a good question. You know, the, the, the blithe answer is scarlet. Uh, I won't say gray, but the blithe answer is scarlet. I do have a lot of scarlet, but I realized. Um, when I look at my wardrobe, I have a tremendous <coughs> amount of blue in my wardrobe. And yes, so I don't same. know if that subconsciously indicates that my favorite color is, is blue. When I was a kid, I would have said green because that was the color of money. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, honestly, it's probably blue. It's probably okay. blue. I, what about least favorite? Least favorite. Oh yeah. Shades of shades of yellow. Okay. That's fair. Shades of yellow. Yeah. And it's funny too, you know, back to the wardrobe thing. I used to have a lot of orange in my wardrobe and um, the stunning Mrs. Vance literally hated any of the orange shirts and they have all been excised from my collection. Uh, But I don't think I ever really had much in the way of yellow. I've got some yellow ties and that's fine, but it goes with a blue blazer, right? That's just a sort of a natural combination, I guess. Um, which annoys me for obvious football related reasons, but I married a girl from West Virginia, so we can make some weird, you know, claim to West Virginia fandom and sure. Let it go. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't like, I mean, yellow, but that's, I, you know, that's one of the ones I don't like, but I will also say in general, I really hate like the millennial, uh, like puce, like beige, what what kinda, is what, what know, color is puce? I I know the word, but I'm like I don't know. There's some of these colors that I don't know if I really could pull out the Crayola 300 colors and puce. So puce is kind of like a it's it's like a it's like a Jimmy Carter purple. Oh, <laughs> see, I, mean? I would have I I was assuming it was like you know like baby poop yellow green kind of. No, no, no. It's know. it's okay. just All it's right. like a sad purple, and okay. and that's the thing. Like, like not all mauve. of. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I really hate like the well, mauve is kind of fun. Mauve is like a, you know, like a lighter, like Easter. Kind oh, of I see color. what you mean about puce. Yeah, puce is. I mean, it's almost like, 
a malaise. <laughs> it's like it's like Pepto Pink, but without the vibrance of pink. Yeah, it's exactly. Like if, it's like if Pepto Pink was was a shade of brown instead or something. Right. Exactly. Know. And I and I hate the millennial shades. I, I hate where everything is just like, eh. you know, like that's that the vibrancy of colors is just kind of gone. And actually someone drew my attention to this at work. Uh there's a I guess a TikTok account where it's like called sad beige toys for sad beige children. Oh nice. <laughs> and it makes fun of like the the current trend to like make kids wear like everything in shades of tan and brown is this i like is this as that we're trying to make everything gender neutral like no no kids? no it's just, that... it's just stylish it's just considered stylish it's not yeah, but i mean like you know but when we were kids though you know you dress boys in blue and, and girls in in pink yeah, yeah. like those sort of things so like is this a natural outcropping of that i think it might be part of it but i i think more it's more so it's more like you know it's the, it's it's the general Instagram. societal melees <laughs> yeah but it's supposed to reflect a certain style and and i really hate those colors because yeah. it all mm. seems like watching you know like a bbc sitcom rerun from 1979 well it's not it, funny or entertaining you're just kind of sad and tired when you talk about like um the the colors and thing things that really annoy me like how it's a style thing yeah. When we were, when we were house shopping last, you know, there's been this, this trend in the last 10, 15 years to, if you have any woodwork in your house whatsoever to paint it white. Oh God. Yeah. And like, I, you know, yeah, it looks clean and modern all that sort of thing, but you had all this beautiful wood in your home. Right. No, I I'm, I'm right with you on that. And now I, you just I, have to repaint it every few years forever. Right. Exactly. Cause you can't take it back to the beautiful wood anymore. You've ruined it. Right yeah it annoys me no no i'm the same no and it's it's just it's this you know where everything's got to be neutral shades get, get off my lawn while i'm yelling at clouds yeah i don't like that stuff i you know what i'm not a big fan of like the color pink but i respect pink yeah pink's great pink's fine. <laughs> you know what i mean fine. like yeah somebody right. wants to use it in something like all right okay it's a choice and i yeah. i i don't vibe with it but that's okay i respect your choice yeah and so my favorite color is I like green. I like forest green. I like, I like that kind of comforting color, but also yeah. I kind of like a bright blue. I like a light baby blue, you know, yep. like something, yep. something like sunny and fun and exciting, um, you know, powder baby blue, something that like really pops. That's my kind of thing. I, 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 put on, I like that stuff. I put on a blue suit this weekend. No, it wasn't powder blue, but like a, yeah. a, a nice darker blue, blue suits suit. Are great. I, love I put blue a blue suit. suit on this weekend and I looked at the mirror and said, damn, I look good. <laughs> I, I mean it was just one of those things i hadn't i like that for you i haven't Andy. worn a lot of suits over the last three years for obvious you only have to look good from the waist up sort of thing you know but oh, sure yeah uh i was i was out and about and had occasion to uh to put on a suit and i i just was really happy about that i was like to hell with that green suit in the closet that green gray suit in the closet hell with that <laughs> black suit in the closet we're rolling with blue you know that's there good you stuff. Go. anyway good question love it all right so uh this uh next one here is from Kevin who says, do you think Ohio State men's basketball will ever be ranked in the top 20? <laughs> uh, yeah, not this at some I point. Mean, not this season. I mean, they're, no, they're, they're, they're toast. I mean, I just, I'm I'm ready to, you know, burn the ships and, and move on. I do think Kyle Jones makes some great points, but I, I go back, to, I hearkened back to what you and I talked about at the top of the hour, and that is we've had six years. I feel like I've seen what Chris Holtman is capable of. 
I feel well, like I don't think people it. realize it doesn't feel like that. And I think part of it's, no, and, of COVID, you know, but... and he, yeah. And, and, and in fairness, you know, I mean, COVID screwed him a little bit, right? Like screwed everybody though. So that's where, and, and exactly. the parody in the big 10, maybe that does make it worse, uh, seem worse, you know, perception, maybe the parody in the big 10 makes it seem worse than it is. They kind of, uh, the analogy use the Harbaugh analogy. The one that I heard earlier that I thought was really good too, is like, this is the Nebraska of, of college basketball, because how many of those losses in the January slump were, you know, within just a handful of buckets, like, right. you know, they, they got blown out a couple of times. They got blown out a couple of times, no doubt, but you know, it's like the Purdue game. Right. And that was the beginning of the skid. Um, yep. But th you know, they were there, they, they could have won that thing in the last possession. Yeah. I just think as far as the basketball team goes this year, I just think the issues are so systemic that it's not, they're not pulling themselves out of this. And yeah. I, I, I think it's hard to accept that because you look at this team and go, man, they're really talented. I mean, they offensively, they, they are still capable of, you know, putting together a really great game. Um, the issue is just, you don't really expect them to be able to be consistent enough to do that. So I don't, that, that to me is on coaching and I don't expect that to change. Within the next, you know, ten or twelve games, or however many games when, they'll play. For when the rest we get of the season. when we get louder back on with Dr. Jones at the same time, and <laughs> and I I want to hear. Just gonna stand back and let him fight. I don't I, care. Well, be no, I love it because I want to hear when 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 Kyle Jones says Chris Holtzman is, is is good at coaching basketball, uh, and I didn't push him on this because I wanted to get to football, but sure. my my honest reaction was. Is he though? Right. <laughs> right. Because I'm not sure Chris is off on that. You know, I and and so that that's I want to hear that back and forth, you know, show your work and everything. So we we gotta get that round table scheduled. Uh yeah, that on. would be fun. Uh, top twenty this season? No, not in the top twenty. Top twenty ever? Yeah, one of these days. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's Ohio State. <laughs> They'll be back in the top twenty. That's the dream. Uh <laughs> so that's ask us anything this week. Thank you for sending those in and uh we'll keep answering them. Appreciate All it. All right, gang. It's been a great week here on the dubcast. We talked a little hoop. We talked a little football. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the Ohio State wrestling team. Fantastic work this last weekend. Swept the state of Michigan. Took Michigan, um, I think it was the first time in, in four years they'd won a duel in Ann Arbor. Uh, and just, you know, grabbed them by the heels and put it to them. I was really impressed. That was that was their, their best uh, dual meet win of the season so far. And then came back home to Cavelli Center. And I just whomped and stomped all over Michigan State, which is not the class of the conference by any stretch. But... Um, really good, really good set of wins for, for most of the guys on the roster, um, had some bonus point wins, the guys versus Michigan state, uh, had the, had the pin chain out. They didn't literally, cause they haven't done that for a few years, but the pin chain was, would have been out a couple of times. Um, some really nice wins there. The big one comes on Friday. Uh, if you're at all interested in wrestling, uh, they will be hosting Penn state and what promises to be a slobber knocker coming up here on Friday from Cavelli, which is nice, will be sold out. Uh, so, you know, going to be going to be an incredible duel. Penn State is the class of the conference. They took it to Iowa. And I believe they were at Carver Hawkeye for that duel. Uh, so stay tuned for that one coming up. I'm on calling Friday. the upset. They're going to do it. I, I love it. I mean, I, you know, this, this team's, um, they're got a lot of guys that I, I really enjoy watching wrestling on team Caleb Romero is is probably my favorite guy on the team sammy sasso is the guy that gets a lot of the the the, the credit because he's been a, a title contender here um and he's a guy that when he gets you in that cradle you're going on your back just sorry it's 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 happening your shoulders are going to the mat uh, but romero is a guy i love to watch he wrestles just harder than the hammers of hell uh i would not want to have to hand fight him for for seven minutes he just really is 
Um, one of my favorite guys to watch. But they're they're all tough SOBs. Um, really, really are. And if uh, if they can stand toe to toe with Penn State, you know it's going to be a great day. I look forward to some strong matches, regardless of the outcome. I think there are going to be some really good matchups. Yep, they're going to sweep them. Okay. <laughs> yes, I love it. And, uh, you remember we said earlier in the earlier in the hour, I'm supposed to be the voice of optimism of the program. But thank you for your contributions as well, Johnny Ginner. All You're right, welcome. friends. Uh, and, and until next time, stay tuned. We'll be back same bat time, same bat channel. Until which, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.